It's an ancient creed. And the more I've lived with it, the more I'm convinced that it has a message for us today. The scripture that Joe's getting ready to read to you right now is found in Colossians. Colossians is one of Paul's letters trying to clear out the thinking that oftentimes gets so confused for Christians then and now and refocuses their and our attention on how to live a resurrected life. So I invite you to listen and let God's word speak to us all. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Bring us, Lord, to the place now that our walk of faith has been setting us toward for some time, a place where a movement of your spirit touches the hopes and the questions we have and transformation occurs. Where our hopes become the hopes that you have for us and our worries and our fears and anxieties become the place of drama where your will and blessing will win out. Speak to us, speak through us, and speak in spite of me, that we might come into your holy presence and stay there in the name of Christ. Amen. This is the fifth week following Easter. And my primary goal in delivering the message over these five weeks, and including next Sunday, has been to take Easter and move it forward to ask the question, how do you live a resurrected life? That Easter itself, to celebrate it and then move on, is never, was never the intent, but rather for us to become an Easter people, an Easter community, created an Easter world. And the use of the Apostles' Creed as a template, a guide, a map, a reflecting point for us to think about what resurrected life looks like has been our goal. Remember the first week after Easter, we began, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We talked about belief in God as not simply the acknowledgement that God exists, but an intimate experience of God. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Which is to say, not only again do we acknowledge that he lived and that he has an important role to play in our life, but rather we are called to follow his life, his unique life, and let his unique life become our unique life. We live like Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. To acknowledge the fact that God's power is not simply for other people or other times, but God's power is called to change the way in we live every minute. Both the hopes that we have, the experiences that we share, the future that we move into. And to know that we were always, always intended to be in a community. Jesus was never about being a personal Savior, but a Savior of all people into a holy community. where We are called intentionally to be with each other and to share our lives. And then today, I believe in forgiveness of sin how important it is for forgiveness to occur. Yesterday was the rummage sale. I have no idea how much money was raised. I only know that the rummage sale served once again to be a wonderful theological lesson for the church. What we had happened here yesterday was at least in part an embodiment of what the church is called to be. A bunch of junk gets reclaimed, repurposed, and becomes someone else's treasure. That's what the church has always been. A bunch of junk gets brought into the community of faith, gets repurposed, reimagined, and reclaimed to a new life. And more than that, more so on yesterday's rummage sale than virtually any other time, the community hungers to break in the door to be able to find the moment of transformation where they will find the bargain that will make tomorrow better for a $3 item that they're willing to haggle over. It's what the church has always been. We collect everyone. You'll notice that there was nobody at the door saying, are you allowed in? Now, the reality is sometimes the church has been accused of acting that way. But it was never the intent of Jesus. Jesus never had designs of any building of a church that would have a door to it. Y'all welcome in. But just don't plan on coming in and staying the same. Because Jesus is about calling us to live a resurrected life. And to do that, in Colossians, he lays out what is necessary for that to happen. And the first thing that's necessary, you have to take the trash out. Rummage sales don't happen unless you're willing to part with some of your special items. You have to let go of things. And two, three weeks ago when I was going through the garage, I really agonized over a couple things that I let go of. That 
letting go of is critical. And in Colossians, right before where Cheryl started reading, he talks about the fact that Christians, if they're going to live a resurrected life, have to take the trash out. He says, if you're going to do this life, you've got to take out your anger and your rage and your malice and slander and filthy language and your lies. You've got to take that stuff out of your life and get rid of it. You've got to be willing to allow your life to start to be transformed by that action. Because you and I, the church as a community, will never be the community of faith that Jesus wants us to be, calls us to be, makes possible for us to be, as long as we hold on to those. Just like my garage would still be so cluttered until we let go of those things and things like them. We aren't creating space for the other things, which is where Cheryl picked up. Because now we're called to clothe ourselves. To come back and take into ourselves the things that will make of us the transformed people of God. Compassion. Having real sympathy for others. Kindness which is about having the gentle respect to allow other people to be who they are. Humility. The surrendering of every smidgen of arrogance or superiority over anyone or any situation. Meekness. The willingness, no, not the willingness, the hunger to surrender your rights so that someone else might thrive. Patience. Not only to not become frustrated, but to be willing without frustration to accept the limitations and the behavior of others, recognizing that the flaws in them are mirrors of the flaws in us all. And to do all of that, we are called to forgive each other. How? Well, because you were forgiven. This is not a foreign concept to you, Christians. You are here because you are forgiven. Don't forget that. Forgiveness is a big deal to Jesus. Forgiveness is a big deal because it's what's necessary for the community of the church to actually be who we're called to be. How do we know it was a big deal for Jesus? Well, a couple things. One, one of the last things he did before he left this earth, and if we can assume that everything he did on this earth was to teach us, one of the last things he did was to look at those who were killing him and say what? Father, forgive them. I mean, if you're going to make your last lesson, you're going to want to make it an important lesson. And for Jesus, it was a way of life. You have to forgive if you're going to live this life, he said, because it's how it's got, how it's, that's what got you into this life. You're forgiven. So out of that, forgive. 
And then he teaches us to pray. The one prayer that we all know when we don't know how to pray anything else. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts, our stupidity, our weakness, our pride as we forgive those. It was so important, of all the things he could have put in the prayer that he knew you and I were going to pray through generations, he put in forgiveness. Forgiveness or forgive occurs 74 times in the New Testament. I mean, it's a big deal. So the Apostles' Creed comes along, and they're trying to figure out in the 4th century, how do we say to folks throughout the ages, what is it that we believe? And the one thing they knew they had to struggle with was forgiveness. So they put it in. They could have put anything in, but they put in forgiveness. Julio Gonzalez is a theologian who, writing on this, reminded me in his writing that in the 4th century, when the church was considering the Apostles' Creed, uh, Constantine had just become the Roman emperor not that long before, and the Christian faith became the official religion of the state which is where we started to screw up the Christian faith right away. We were always better off when we were on the outside looking in, but but what happened when that occurred is you have to remember in church history, before we became the official religion of the empire, we were persecuted. Remember that? The church was persecuted horribly. And people were put to death because they would not answer the question the right way. Who is your Lord? And they would say, it's Jesus. And then bad things would happen to them, but they never gave up their faith. But some did. Some weren't able to withstand the pressure. And are you going to sit in judgment of them? Are you sure you would know what you would do if the death of your children and your family were at risk? I'm not sure. But the fact is, when the church became the official religion of the state, the church had a problem. How do we treat those people who, during the time of persecution, sold out? Can you understand that there might have been some people in the church who wanted to stand up and say, we judge you? We hold it against you. We didn't give in, and those of you who did. And then they picked up the Bible and read it. Oh, that's right. Those of you, we forgive you. It's a hard pill to swallow for some. And so when they're writing the Apostles' Creed, they thought, well, maybe, maybe future generations are going to struggle a little bit with forgiveness. So maybe we better tell them what we just learned. Believe in the forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness, for us, has often taken on a very personal dynamic. Forgiveness, we we, we draw our, our attention to the moment where a sinner is is caught in sin and prayer or whatever, and in that moment of transformation, in that born-again moment, the sinner says, forgive me, Father, and God says, I forgive you in the name of Jesus Christ, and that's what we see as forgiveness. 
And there's nothing wrong with it. That's important. I've had those moments in my life. But what we have also done is begun to believe that forgiveness is all about individuality. That is not what Jesus intended. Jesus teaches us forgiveness not to take care of our personal lives, but so that God can create the community of faith that God intends. Get this picture. Jesus is looking at these disciples, and he knows their flaws. And he's saying to them, here's the community of faith I want you to, be, to have and to create. The mission of the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Jesus looked over and saw these disciples and said, man, they need a lot of work for the transformation of the world to occur. And he knew those and these are going to have to practice a lot of what to make it happen? Forgiveness. Jesus was not stupid. He knew he was calling imperfect people to a holy task. And he's saying, if you're going to get this done, you better practice forgiving a lot. Not for your sake, but for the transformation of the world. In fact, forgiveness is not to be simply a personal spiritual action, but rather a calling for a distinctive characteristic of a community of faith. The world should know how radical forgiveness is whenever they come into the body of Christ. And it's by grace. It's not cheap. Anybody here ever get out of a traffic ticket? Yeah. Any of you here ever get out of paying the ticket? Okay. Were you happy? Of course you were. You were so happy you told someone about it, didn't you? Huh? Did anybody keep that secret to themselves? No, you're going to share that good news. And so often we look at forgiveness as that way. Hey, we got out of the ticket. I screwed up. It's not held against me. Yay. Now let me ask you this. Did any of you become a better driver because you got pulled over? Ah, (laughs) not as many... I just learned to drive one mile an hour less in that speed zone. Forgiveness. You know, the real... Listen, I don't know what really happens in the mind of the officers. He's pulling me, I'm aiming you over. But I'm going to assume the original idea for giving tickets was so that you wouldn't hurt yourself or others and so you would become a better driver. Does that make sense? To stop speeders from being speeders, drunk drivers from driving drunk, etc. That's why they give the tickets. And we've reduced it to thinking, oh, we got out of that one. Now I've got to run it faster because I'm late for my thing. That's what we've done with forgiveness. We think forgiveness is getting a free pass for me. No. Forgiveness was given by Jesus Christ to the whole world so the whole world could change. 
So Christians, let me ask you this. How many of you have experienced or felt the forgiveness of God in your life? How many of you can draw from those moments a direct correlation to how you are a better, faithful disciple because of it? It's, a, it's not a pass. It's an invitation for you and I to move forward and to create a community where, yes, I know about my own forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but more importantly... I know what it is to learn how to forgive you and expect, quite frankly, you to forgive me so we can be prepared to forgive the world in Christ's name. How are you a better disciple today because of the forgiveness you've received from Jesus Christ? I want you to think about that this week. Second question. Who needs your forgiveness? Who needs you to forgive them? I didn't ask who deserves your forgiveness. Remember, we took arrogance out of the picture. Who needs your forgiveness, not so just you feel better, and not just so they feel better, so that because of the act of forgiveness, you are both set free to become forgiving, transformational people in the world, changing other people's lives. So oftentimes, I have myself thought, I've got to forgive Sandy, I'll just send you right here. You sit in the front row, you get picked on. I got to forgive because, you know, I don't like that we aren't getting along, and I liked it when we were happy with each other. So I forgive you, Sandy. And I think that's what it's about, but that's not what it's about. I practice forgiveness with Sandy so she can become set free, I can be set free, and together we can be a community that offers forgiveness to others and change lives. Do you hear me, church? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It comes right after the communion of saints. If we are called to be a holy community of God, people who are dedicated to following Jesus, saints, and we are able to do that because of God, because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they knew to live a resurrected life, you and I would have to get really good at forgiveness. And then we'd have to be amazing as a community that everyone in the world recognizes as a community that is about radical, unlimited, unconditional forgiveness. So that the world would be transformed in the way and purpose to which Jesus came into the world. Do you hear me? Now, forgiven brothers and sisters, if you are in the need of forgiveness today, if you know that, if you came in here today feeling guilty, ashamed, a part of your life you want no one else to know about, 
This is a place to let it go. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Feel that. Know that. And if there's anybody in your life whom you need to forgive, either because you need to or they need you to, give it up. You won't manipulate or control them into what they will be after the act of forgiveness, but the only thing your forgiveness can do is make possible what God can do. When we learn, when we experience, and when we give away radical free forgiveness, can you imagine... What will happen differently in our friendships, in our marriages, in our homes, at our workplace, in this community, and yes, even the world? May God let that dream stir in your heart and mind and us collectively together. Because as a community of faith, we say it, and will we believe it by what we do? I believe, I'm committed to, I will live out, I will humble myself to the forgiveness of sin.